Welcome to I, We, He at OBC. I'm discipleship pastor Jason Barrow, and my wife Lori and I are so blessed because we always get to hear so many people's stories. And when we do, it's easier to see different pieces of the puzzle come together. You get a first-hand look at who God is and what He's doing in the lives of others. And hearing the stories of our brothers and sisters has really been encouraging and challenging to us, so we want you to hear them too. In today's episode, you'll hear Sarah and Daniel Heston's story. In a time of waiting, God transformed them from a rebel to a servant and from a consumer to a contributor. As you listen, we pray that your passion is ignited to love Jesus and everyone else. It's I, we, he, baby. Let's go. So today on the I, we, he podcast, we have Sarah and Daniel Heston. Uh, Sarah and Daniel have been married two years, just celebrated their second anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Sarah is our preschool director here at OBC. She's been doing that for six years. She has been at OBC since she was born, practically, and Daniel's been here a dozen years. We are excited to have a conversation today with you guys. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. We're excited. We'll talk about your OBC stories in a little bit. Uh, but Daniel was actually here for eight years mm-hmm. before you guys met, and you guys met at CrossFit? Like, what's the story with that? He said I was working at CrossFit, coaching. He let me and Philip Rayburn come and do the Jesus Wad with him early because I was busy that day. Jesus Wad, help me. <laughs> That's uh, not CrossFit. a Bible verse. CrossFit <laughs> thing. <laughs> workout of the day. Yeah, Wad is workout of the day. So we, we did a workout it's together. It's Easter. And it's supposed yeah. to just help you to meditate on the cross and like the hard things that Jesus went through. So it was just kind of a, just to get your mind on that. Um, but I remember coming in and he was play, he was doing it. So he was warming up and playing worship music while he was doing this. And I was like, okay, yes, <laughs> check please. And in that moment, like I was obviously, you know, I was attracted to him before that. But like in that moment, I was like, this is the kind of dude. I want the kind of dude that works out to worship music. <laughs> Uh, while he's meditating on Jesus during his wad. You know, I'd been coming to church here for seven or eight years at that time, so I knew who Sarah was. I knew, you know, she's Pastor C's daughter. I saw her around. Um, but we had never officially met. Do so. you remember that day? Do you, like, remember the when we were introduced to each other-ish? Sarah knows um, what you were wearing and what you were coaching. No, she absolutely does. No, I remember. Not not the details like you do, but... So I'm guessing, so you guys are sitting here and just celebrating your second anniversary. You're telling us how you first met. I bet it was love at first sight, huh? Mm, absolutely not. For, for, wow, babe. For her, it was. And yeah. for me, yeah, not so much. She basically came out and said... She basically asked me out, which I had uh, I had problems with, um, and uh, you know it wasn't that I disliked Sarah. I just didn't want to date her at that time. But Did you think she I was, was cute? absolutely, yeah. Don't don't, yeah, absolutely. Um, for several years, we just kind of did the friend thing. Yes. This was not a like me just passively like, oh, he's cute, but it's fine. No, I yeah. was like. Hold on, I want to marry him. Yeah. And I think that, that, so that whole first year was that very much that stuff. Like, I was like, let me look cute whenever we're around, I'm around him, like, put myself in the situations he's in, uh, try to be attractive to him, try to be what he wants, like, looking at the things I knew he was interested in and trying to be that and um, do those things. But around that same time, I had finally just decided 
to tell God exactly what I wanted. Not that he already didn't know that, but just to literally verbalize it. And I remember one night just saying, literally out loud, sitting on my bed, God, I want to be Daniel Huston's wife, like in utter frustration. I'll never forget um, that Sunday morning. And I can't tell you dad's sermon title. I can't tell you what the verse was he was referring to. But I just remember being really weighed down by like just the disappointment that this guy who was everything that I could think I would want in a man, both spiritually and physically and um, relationally, and he's just not into me. So I'm thinking like, what am I doing? Like, God, I'm trying to pursue a man after your own heart. And if he isn't it, then I don't know who is. And, you know, go to sit down in service that day, sitting on the floor. And dad says, uh, Pastor Steve says, sometimes our timing is not God's timing. It was everything that I would imagine a promise to be from the Lord where he's like, okay, in my timing. Um, the next year was very much this, like me just searching after the Lord instead of me not doing the things that I thought would make Daniel like me, but me becoming the kind of woman that is after God's own heart, like I saw in him. Man, my affections for her changed rapidly. Rapidly is not even fast enough word. I mean, within a, within a year we went from, or I went from, I'm not interested in dating Sarah, to we were married. So May May 2018, we got married. May 2017, it wasn't even on my radar to even ask her out. Like, we weren't dating at that time. So Won't he do it? <laughs> right around mega sports camp. Man, God just changed my heart for her and just, like, fell in love with her. And quickly, uh, so I asked her out four months later, uh, asked her to marry me. Four months after that, we got married. So within a year, not dating, not interested to now we're married. So it was rapid and it was, and there's no way to look at that story and give credit to anybody but God. Because I was so, no, I'm not going to do that. And it, and it wasn't ever, like I said, dislike for Sarah. It was just, eh, I don't I don't think, you know, I'm not interested in her that way. So, man, what's that like? So you guys are, you're married, been married a couple years. Um Tell us what that's like. Uh, I'd say marriage is far better than I ever imagined it would be, but at the same time, it's far harder, too. Hmm. Um, How would you guys describe generally, like, why marriage is hard? So not necessarily being married to each other or, like, Daniel leaves his socks on the floor and no, that's me. Sarah doesn't wash dishes <laughs> well, whatever, but also look. true. <laughs> um, like, so a young, there's a young couple uh, listening to this, somebody who's thinking about marriage or has just entered marriage. When they hear you say marriage is harder than I thought it would be, um, what do you mean? There's no place to hide. Like, uh, you know, all of your junk that you know, we definitely knew each other, you know, we knew each other's junk, but when you get married, it's just so magnified and you really just, you just can't hide any of it. So I think that all your junk's out in the open, which I mean, can be really helpful, uh, but at the same time, really hard too. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I've heard people say this who have, who dated for a long time and then got married or like us, we're literally completely together eight months before we were married that no matter what, there's just this thing in marriage that no matter how much you know about each other and how much of your junk, you know, like there's still this sanctification process that I'm like really honestly thankful for. I think marriage is hard because it does 
you know, if you're if you're pursuing the Lord in your marriage and pursuing each other, then it's going to make you more like Christ. And that's not an easy thing, that process of becoming more like Jesus. <laughs> um, so it brings out my selfishness for sure. And it brings out my strong will. Um, I'm naturally not submissive at all. Like, no, I'm very independent. And, um, but marriage makes me be um, dependent on Daniel and on Jesus. And I think for me specifically, you know, especially in this day and age, that's a, that's not something that people brag about. That's not something that, to be proud of is to be a submissive wife. So speaking of this day and age, people could hear that and go, okay, therefore I don't want any part of marriage. Mm, absolutely. So what would you right. say to them? When you, when the husband does his role, like God intended him to do, the, the submission is, is not a chore. It's a blessing. Um, I think most females haven't experienced marriage in that way. They they look at it as, okay, submission is a, like it's a negative. It's a chore. It's, you know, but. Kathy Keller, she said in um, her and Tim Keller's marriage book, you know, that we all have um, the Jesus part to play in marriage. Yeah. It's not just the husband. Right. As wives, we do too. We're submitting, which just like Jesus did to the Father. That's right. Um, we listened to J.D. Greer's podcast a lot, and they just did a three-part marriage series and spoke, and Veronica's wife specifically was talking about how um, the word servant in the Gospels is the same word that they were used to refer to Jesus, that he was a servant king. Like, he was in charge, but he served those that he was in charge yeah. of, and that's the, totally... The implication's not inferior yeah, because absolutely. you serve or submit. Um, but, you know, we had really great uh, examples of what God-honoring healthy marriages look like in our parents. So my parents are still together and in love, and so are her parents, which is, we say all the time, that's so rare to see both couples have both sets of parents that are still married, but not just married, that have really good uh, Christ-centered marriages. And we've always kind of thought of that as kind of a responsibility, uh, maybe an expectation that we continue that sort of legacy. Yeah, I think I definitely see that as a privilege that, you know, uh, and we don't take that for granted because we know a lot of people, especially our age and in this day, don't get to experience that. All right. So, Sarah, it's hard to separate your family and your OBC story, how you got here from one another. I mean, you really didn't have a choice in the matter. That's true. Tell us about that. (laughs) So my dad came on staff as the senior pastor when I was six months old. Um, Shout out Pastor Steve and Miss Jenny, future podcast guest. No Um, pressure. So, yeah, I was six months old. Um, When Dad started, we were at a totally different building in a totally different worship center. We've had four different ones since then, I think. I remember every part of every building project and big decision we've made. What church looks like now is totally different than what it was then. But like, I'm so grateful to be able to have seen all of it. I mean, what a blessing that I have been in the same church my entire life. Like, this is the only church I've known, and I've got to experience every version of it, and every version (laughs) of it has been great. Daniel, how did you and your family get to OBC? Yeah, so uh, I was about 14, so my parents decided to to come here. And actually, I think they had been here 
Um, they had visited years prior. I don't remember that, but they said, let's, let's go back to Osborne, uh, one more time and just try it. Um, and they came and loved it. And, um, we had never experienced church, how OBC does church. I mean, it was, which is probably everybody's experience almost. Um, so yeah, 14 ish, but those first few years I, I wasn't involved, man. I was like pastor Steve says all the time, strictly a consumer, um, I came to service and left and didn't serve, didn't do anything, didn't connect, um, and did that. Um, but, you know, my dad deciding to move us from the church that we were at and, and landing here was, I mean, that was key to, I mean, I can't see any area of my life that's, that hasn't been affected by OBC, um, from Sarah to my job to, I mean, so many things. So that, that was a critical moment um, looking back now. So you guys grew up in great families, um, in a great church at um, really impressionable ages, um, but you wouldn't say that you were totally surrendered to Jesus at an early age, right? I came to faith at a young age, so, you know, I was a believer. I didn't really walk with God, especially in my teenage years, and I wasn't just outright rebelling, but it wasn't this, um, like, intimate communion with God. So that was kind of my teenage years, and I had kind of a faith crisis when I was 17 or 18 where uh, I just struggled with, do I have the real thing, or, you know, is this just fake? What, what, um, what about what about you was making you think that? Like, what, what were so, you seeing? <clears throat> I had kind of believed this lie, this whole pretending lie, where I, I would felt like I had to pretend on the outside, like everything on the inside was good. I, I thought I had this image, I thought, to uphold or maintain, and which just wasn't true. But I got to that point, 17 or 18, and, and just thought, man, do I inside was good. And kind of teenage years, um, I struggled, like I think a lot of guys do, with kind of purpose. And everybody's asking, what's my purpose? And, you know, I was wrestling with what, what's my contribution, not just to the church, but, like, what's my comp- contribution to the world? Like, what am I supposed to do as a career? I kind of thought, I, I guess I had my identity in career. I'm a whatever, which a lot of guys believe that lie. And because I didn't know what that should be, like, I just didn't know what to do with that. And my dad just grabbed me by the hand and guided me through that time period. Pre that, you know, no, I wouldn't say I was fully surrendered. I was a believer. But that was the turning point where I went from kind of the whole pretending thing, that was sort of the lie, I believe, to fully surrendered, I'm in. Sarah, how would you say your journey from church kid, healthy family, to fully surrendered to Jesus? Um, I was eight years old when I, what we like to say to our kids at ABC, found childlike faith or believing faith, where I knew and believed that I was a sinner in need of Jesus and that without understanding that he died for my sins on the cross that I was going to go to hell. So I got it. Check. I was about 13 when I realized that that wasn't enough, that like there had to be, there had to be a change in me. And I guess I felt the conflict of that whole human heart versus kingdom heart deal where I was like, oh, I'm feeling tugged this way. And, but I know I'm supposed to do this. Holy Spirit's in there doing his thing. But I, like I said earlier, very independent, very strong-willed. And so right after high school was kind of the uh, worst of that 
of the whole um, I'm going my own way side. So I probably spent about five years just um, pursuing my own passions and my own desires. And um, that looked different in a lot of different ways, but um, was definitely far from the Lord. Um, I was showing up here on Sundays in the overflow room late so I didn't have to talk to people and leaving early so I didn't have to talk to people. But because I was still living in my father's house, Pastor Steve was like, girl, you better be here. <laughs> so Let me into the not trying to talk to people. What was that about? People knew the lifestyle I was living and people knew that it was not one that honored Christ. One thing the enemy wanted to do was to convince me that my church family wasn't for me. Therefore, I was going to get out of the room before I gave them the chance to confront me or the chance to prove right what my heart was lying to me was going to happen. I think it was so much more in my head that I thought that was going to happen than it actually was. Like, I think I, I think that the enemy wanted me to think people were hardcore judging me and that they weren't giving me mercy and grace. Of course, he wanted me to think that was my church family doing that. But I think our church family, especially OBC, just gives us so much more grace, gives our kids so much more grace than we give them credit for sometimes. So that's a long way from where you are in your relationship with Jesus now. What happened? I was comfortable the way I was living um, secularly, but of course the Holy Spirit's like tugging on me a little bit like, huh, this, it's not comfortable um, in my relationship with Christ where I was at. So a friend, my best friend at the time, she had she had done what's called a discipleship training school with an organization called YWAM. She went to the country of Georgia, which I didn't even know was a thing, and <laughs> um, spent six months there and came home, and um, she was, like, just different. So I decided I was going to look into doing a discipleship training school, but I wasn't, like, thrilled about it. I was excited to travel. If I'm just being honest, and this is where I say God can use our wrong intentions— <laughs> If I'm just being honest, I wanted to live somewhere else outside my parents' house, meet new people, and travel. And um, that was going to allow me to do all these things. And, like, my dad was going to be super happy about it because <laughs> it, like, said Jesus somewhere in there. <laughs> so um, so I go to, ended up in Hawaii, knew that um, there would be a, the second half of that we would be overseas somewhere um, doing, like, documentary-style mission work stuff. So I spent three months in Hawaii. It was discipleship, discipleship, exactly what it sounds like. Um, so it was just digging down deep into my junk as a person and a believer and why I'm hurt by this and why I feel all of that stuff. So did did that, spent three months in Hawaii um, in the red light districts working with women and girls in human trafficking and trying to help them get out. Came home and like I said, I knew um, what God was asking me to do, but I wasn't brave enough to do it. Like I was at this point where I was just like, I came home and felt very alone. Um, even though I've, I felt closer to the Lord than I'd ever been, I was able to have this time with him where I was removed from everything I ever knew. Um, and was able to just focus on what he wanted to do in my heart and life and was ready for it, but was scared to like do the action steps that, I had to do to to get past everything. Got home in June 2013 and it was a couple more months before I actually said, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to do these things." So I finally fully surrendered. Said, "Okay, God, I'm not seeing how 
anything um, is going to come out of this positively for me. Um, besides, <laughs> besides my um, relationship with you and my growth and closeness to you, um, I felt like I had no one um, because my my family and my friends at the time who were supportive of my life changed didn't understand everything I had just experienced the past six months. But then the people that I came home to that I was trying to break away from also didn't understand why I even needed to change. So um, I felt stuck in the middle and very alone, but finally decided if I'm alone, I'm alone. It was a much longer process, I think, that like looking back, like I, I think when I was 13 and when I said, I understand that this now requires something of me instead of just believing that what I know about God is true. Um, I mean, that was about, that was about nine years that it took me to, to take my hands off of what I thought I knew was the right way to live and do things. Well, we're, so thankful that we, no matter how hard we try, and we can try hard, mm. we can't mess up God's plan yeah. for our life. Thank goodness. Daniel, you mentioned playing church games and being a consumer. I was absolutely a consumer. When we first came to OBC, all I did was consume, consume, consume. I thought, what can the church do for me? And, and you know, I think a lot of people think that. Uh, and I showed up to service, heard Pastor C preach. It was always incredible. Thought, man, you know, and took some stuff from it. Peace out, gone. And showed up the next week. And I, I mean, I was, you know, faithful and coming, but that's all I did. Show up, leave. And then, you know, it wasn't really a moment. It was kind of gradual. But, but I realized God didn't make me to be a consumer. He made me to be a contributor. And I thought, what do I have to contribute? Like, what, what's my contribution that I can make? Because uh, consuming is part of it. But it's just a small part. That's not all of it. And so I started contributing. I started um, serving. So Philip Rayburn convinced me to start parking cars. So I started serving, literally telling people where to park. Started parking cars, and then that grew into uh, helping with events. And then um, I think I was a chaperone at, like, a, a huge camp, middle school camp. And then Ryan Murphy, middle school pastor, uh, asked me if I would be a small group leader. Mm-hmm. which almost immediately everything inside of me screamed absolutely not. Wow. Just didn't, uh, it was uncomfortable. Like, I mean, that would stretch me way past what I was comfortable with. But also at the same time, knew almost immediately, no, nah, I need to do this. So I pushed back a little there, but decided to do it. So became a sixth grade boy, small group leader. Uh, and now I'm still with those same boys. I followed them there in ninth grade now. Uh, so I'm in Collide doing that. So started small group leader. That was kind of a, a critical moment too. Um, and then just other areas. Went on mission trip and um, connection group leader and just different things. Just started serving. But the, the big shift was and the difference is go from consumer to contributor and make a contribution um, and don't just think what can the church do for me, but what can I do for the church? So that, that was a big shift. Sarah, what parts of Iwihi come more natural to you and what parts are harder? For me, we is super easy. Like anything that involves other people I love. I, I get energy and excitement just from being around people. 
I has been, I would say, like, we's number one. I is definitely number two. So, like, prayer comes most easily to me in I. Um, studying gets a little hard for me because I'm not studious at all. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that marriage has helped me with, like, kind of us meeting in the middle, him being more studious, that being easier for him, it's drawn me to that and made it easier for me. So yeah, like for us, um, most recently, I've like we've been in a ton of groups. I've been a group leader. Um, I've been in a lot of groups and led several groups. Um, but for the first time, actually, in all of my OBC history, <laughs> I am participating in a group and not leading it in any way, shape, or form or hosting it in any way, shape, or form. And it has easily been the most spiritually, you know, um, beneficial for me. I would say he has to be number three for me right now because missions is not like even on my radar, not even on my radar. Now, like if Ronnie was like, hey, uh, in this month, we're going to go on this trip and I want you to come. And there wasn't 400 other things going on in church that I was responsible for. I would totally be on board for it. But it's it's always that. It's always, oh, well, this thing is happening. And then two days later is this. So I got to be here for that. So, yeah, I would say in that order, we is easiest. I is number two. He is number three. Mm. So where do you guys think, as you grow spiritually, where do you hope to grow in I, we, he? Definitely the he specifically go for both of us, for sure. Uh, And then, you know, for me, she's all about we component, which, of course, with my personality, we can be almost like draining sometimes, like afterwards. It's, It's great, but after group, it's like, okay, like, let me go, you know, sit over here by myself. For a little while. Yeah. So for me, yeah, the we isn't as natural. But I've grown to see the benefit of it way more, partly because of being married to Sarah, but, you know, part of it was just getting plugged into OBC, and there's value in we, no matter what your personality is. If you're like me, an introverted, or like Sarah, an extroverted, the, the value's the same. Um, so, yeah, for both of us, go, so the he component. I like the I component. Of course, it's exactly opposite of what Sarah said. So, I mean, I, I like reading and studying and, and those disciplines. All right, so Sarah, how did your love for littles start? Where did that begin? I feel like I've always literally, he jokes, he says jokes about me having three kids on my hip, but I feel like that's always been true since I was a little kid. Like I remember even being a little kid and having a little kid like around me. (laughs) I remember being at the old church and picking up a little girl who I was too small to pick up and dropped her. Like I have this vivid memory of it and being like, oh, I've just ruined her life. So, um, yeah, I've always had a love for kids, um, even even since I was little. So um, I think that really kind of came out even more when my sister was born. So Chloe is 10 years younger than me, and she just graduated high school. So I'm having a little sad moment about that. Um, but I was there when she was born. I watched her come into this world. It was just this, like, life-changing experience for me where I was just like, God made this little tiny person, and look how perfect she is. I mean, it was just this instant. Like, I think that's the closest I'll ever feel to, like, loving a kid that much until I have my own. I mean, so she's been, like, my baby doll literally ever (laughs) since then. Like, I would literally dress her in my actual doll clothes. (laughs) And my mom let me. I mean, she just said, like, go ahead, whatever. I'm sure it was helpful to her at the time. When I was 
19, I think, I um, was working in a medical office that I really loved. I actually got fired. Oops. <laughs> and, um, Oops. And the same day, got a call to start babysitting three girls. And I'm, like, crying when I get to their house. So I was devastated over this job. And um, get there. Babysat them that night, ended up nannying them for like the next three or so years. And man, these girls, I think just that was my most compact, like concentrated experience, like caring physically for preschool aged kids specifically. They were, I mean, it was a baby, a one and a half year old and a three year old. So it was a whole spectrum. And I loved every bit of it. You know, I remember them saying their first words and Carmel losing her first tooth and then really nasty things happening and having to take care of that. <laughs> I won't embarrass her on this podcast. Um, I remember them taking their first steps and all that stuff. Like, I think, and just the wonder in that, like, oh, wow, look how amazing they are and look at them do this new thing and say this new word. And I think also just seeing how moldable that preschool-aged kids are, like, I think just everything that you teach them, everything you put into them is so foundational at that point. And I realized that through nannying these girls for those several years and fell in love with them and fell in love with that phase. Like, oh, I just, babies to fives, I just, mm, it's my favorite. And I do love two-year-olds. Like, if I had to pick one, Jason is shaking his head at me right now. Something is wrong with this. I do. It's like, I mean, I... I just, it is my favorite age in the preschool phase, I think. And I think because they really just are these sponges. And they really are saying words for the first time. And so it would seem natural to be talking about your love for littles and start talking about vocational ministry and preschool director. However, Sarah is not the only one in the Heston house who is in vocational ministry. Yeah. So I started working with Lee Fisher. Shout out um, Lee and Natalie shout Fisher. Shout out Lee Fisher. Future podcast guest. No pressure. Uh, started working with him uh, December of last year. Um, had recently decided uh, to go to physical therapy school. Um, and there's kind of this in-between time where I had some prerequisite classes that I had to get done. Um, the job I was working, just the, the schedule didn't allow me to get those done. Um, and this position came open with Lee and we talked about it. So I started working with him in December and Lee is the maintenance director. He does, I mean, a little bit of everything, but the, the main thing we do, um, is preparing, uh, all the different areas to actually do ministry. Um, so it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I mean, it could be building stuff, cleaning stuff, making stuff. Um, but all of it is focused on, uh, let's make ministry happen in OBC preschool and all the all the different areas. Um, so, man, I, I've loved working with Lee. Um, man, he is uh, world class at what he does. So, yeah, I'm working here too now, which is crazy. <laughs> We're talking about your husband being in ministry. Uh, kind of funny twist here. There's a prayer you prayed that had something to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when I remember being a teenager and then like continuously <laughs> throughout the time I was thinking about being a wife at any point, I was just like, God, 
I will, my husband can do anything he wants. <laughs> Don't ever say these kind of things to God. Um, except be in the military or be in ministry, which is funny um, because now I am. The way that I got into ministry was very not normal. Um, so um, the summer that I got home from my DTS with YWAM in Hawaii and Thailand. So I was actually the pro shop um, <laughs> pro at a local golf course. So that's quite a resume. <laughs> Diverse. And that was a fun time. I actually really enjoyed it, to be honest. But um, <laughs> Did you ever play golf? I did not. I did not play golf, but I did get to go to the pool. Oh, so yeah. that was really fun. <laughs> um, but I really did love it. It was, it was, a, it was a good job. Um, let's see, about six months into that, Dad called me one day, and the current preschool director, her daughter was her assistant, and she was about to have a baby, and um, they were, like, my best friends. And so he calls me, and he's like, hey, um, so... Emily's about to have the baby, and Cheryl's going to need help, so would you mind just filling in for her until she can come back, you know, after the baby's born? And I was like, no. I said no, said no, said no. Finally, he's like, Sarah, I'm not I'm not trying to be annoying, but, like, I, like she's going to have the baby next week, and I, can you just at least do it for a little bit? I, we can't find anybody else. Okay. I mean, it was, like, weird hours. It's like, fine, I'll do it. And I knew it would be fun because, you know, I at least like the people that were here. So that was in February. And um, so I do it. I'm like, oh, this is really fun, actually. I really liked doing the lessons. I really liked preparing them for the kids and putting them in there. Funniest thing is I wasn't, like, serving in preschool. <laughs> I was literally just, like, putting the lessons together. Then, obviously, slowly, Cheryl was like, hey, I need you to go in that room. And I was like, oh, um, I really love being in here with these kids. They're fun. Like, that remembering the whole Chloe and nannying thing that I knew that I loved. I just hadn't been around recently. So, um that was in February. In April, or yeah, Cheryl's like, I'm a grandma now. I'm about to just be a grandma. So she, she decided to resign from being the preschool director at the time. And so it was kind of like, okay, we'll just fi- find somebody to fill in in the meantime. And I was part of helping them find someone to fill in the meantime. So I was like, okay, who can we get? And we're so we're thinking through our volunteer list and thinking through people who like are good at this stuff. And um, I was like, okay, cool. And me and Leighton Dad are th- talking through that. And I will never forget. Leighton walks into my office. Shout one day. out Leighton and Liz Everett, yes. future podcast guest. No pressure. Leighton walks into my office and he's like, just real casually, like, hey, uh, uh, any chance you're interested in being the preschool director? Or, like, doing it just interim, at least. And I was like, no, 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 bye. (laughs) No. I mean, it was a hard no. Like, it wasn't a maybe I'll think about. I mean, I was just like, no, LOL, you're funny. So um, almost as quickly as those words exited my mouth, I kid you not, it was like God, it, it felt like my heart flipped. Like, it felt like God was like, are you sure? And it was this, um like, wait a minute, do I want to do that? I had, it hadn't even entertained my, I hadn't even entertained the thought. So, um, did not say that to anyone, obviously. Midsummer, so probably May, beginning of June, we're starting to plan for VBS because somebody's got to do it. And I just really was like, man, I love this. This is, this is fun. I like doing it. At this point, I was also doing the preschool director job and the preschool assistant job. So I was doing everything that had to be done. And I was like, if I really like doing this much stuff, like both jobs, then maybe I could do it. So I prayed about it. was like, God, I mean, I feel, I felt him 
developing this desire in me for it, but I was afraid of it. Um, I was afraid of it, one, because it was nothing I'd ever thought of or entertained before. I did. I was afraid that people would say, oh, you know, you got that job because your dad's mm. a pastor, and so obviously, and again, with my rebellious heart, heck, if anybody was going to think that. <laughs> so, like, I did this myself. Oh, well, Jesus totally did this. Um, so, so I, I don't even remember what I did, but or who I talked to, but I I remember there being a business meeting called to vote for me. I guess I told Dad and Layton, like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do what I guess. But I was literally having to ask for the approval of my church family. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a mm-hmm. vote. Like, it was like a, you check yes or no vote. <laughs> so I got up there. I remember, like, shaking in my boots. I remember Kevin Bedard being in the room and beforehand telling me he was praying for me, um, which was a huge deal to me because Kevin was actually my youth pastor in my senior Shout year. Shout out, KB and Tracy. That's right. Future Collab. podcast guest. Alumni. No pressure. Get the plug in. That's right. <laughs> And so I say my thing, they do, they pass out the ballot, I'm literally sweating, and um, they they get him back, and Dad has the number, and he's about to say it, and it was, I'll never forget, it was 151 yeses and nine noes. The fun fact about that is I clearly got the majority, thanks fam, y'all are awesome, but it was the second most no votes ever. And the first most no votes ever was when the original OBC voted my dad down as the senior pastor. So, like, the Griffiths have, like, 99% yes, of the no votes in the history of OBC. And that's okay. You know, it's fine. I'm good Sarah's not salty about those nine I'm all. not no. salty. No. And honestly, I probably would have been nervous, too, because I was definitely not qualified. But I feel like now another staff shout-out that I have to do right now is to Valerie Knight, who is now our prayer uh, ministry director. But we didn't even have one at the time. She wasn't even on staff at the time. Um, Shout out Valerie Knight, future podcast guest. That's right. No pressure. She, um, along with maybe just like two or three other people, felt like, it felt like when in the Bible, when they're holding Moses' arms up, like, help, he's like, help me out. And his brothers are like, I got you. That's what it felt like for me because I felt I wasn't equipped. I mean, I'm, just, I'm not saying that to like toot my horn. I, I knew nothing about this. Um, I just knew God was asking me to do it. And I was scared for all those reasons I just said. But Valerie said, God, you don't have to be equipped. God has called you. He will equip you. He will give you what you need to do this. He will give you what you need to do this to do this right. All I know, and she's saying this, all I know is that God is asking you to do this, Sarah. And she was so encouraging to me and just like, I mean, I, I cannot I cannot explain the influence she's had on my walk most recently. Mm. So um, Daniel is what Valerie told Sarah true. So she was called. Um, how have you seen her equipped to do this? What have you learned about Sarah watching her be yeah, a preschool director? I think what's impacted me the most, what, what she's taught me the most is um, it's never too early to teach kids the gospel. Um, so come Sunday morning, uh, five-year-olds down to infants are, are literally taught, God made me, God loves me, Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Um, and I thought for a long time, you know, how much can you teach? I mean, how much can you teach a baby? Like, can the, But really, the, the volunteers speak that over them. Um, I mean, imagine if every five-year-old 
believe knew and believed those foundational gospel truths and, and that's the goal but Sarah does it with such a balance that it's not just gospel it's gospel in a way that's fun and enjoyable and like it's probably the the, the best part of their week but also at the same time it's gospel truths thrown in there mm. um and she doesn't sacrifice either of them so that that's probably what I've learned the most God has equipped the call yeah. Amen. So from your perspective, Sarah, there's this uh, phrase we've been throwing around a lot uh, recently, um, small town, big God. How in the world is there a church in Eden, North Carolina, that's got a preschool department that's got, what, 175 kids a week? Yep. How's that happening in Eden? Well, I mean, we answered it with big God, but um, like functionally, I think um, our church as a whole really focuses on how we can serve our community. And the community of Eden is mostly families with young kids. I mean, we've just got a lot of that around here. And so if we if we live in a community of family with young kids and can't figure out how to get them in the building at least to have some fun like we got a problem (laughs) Um, so you know kind of top tier thing is Orange which serves all of our curriculum from preschool to high school Orange means for those of you listening this is a big part of our church culture around here Um, yellow the light of the church and red the love of the home equal orange the the influence of the church Um, so shout out orange they probably ain't coming on the podcast but just in case I didn't know that so yeah it's new to me. Um, so the light of Jesus plus the love of the home equals orange, um, the church. And so their whole um, phases deal is really a huge thing for us. And like Daniel was saying, um, it's the gospel and like fun things. Like it's we don't want to sacrifice either because um, specifically in preschool, um, the word that really encompasses ministry for preschoolers is embrace. We want to be able to embrace preschoolers emotionally, physically, spiritually. And we are, we figured out how to do those, those three things. And so one, I think, um, the reason why we're able to do this big thing in this small town is starts starts with this um, idea of orange. It starts with our church culture of prioritizing families. It also you know, one thing I'm so grateful for is from our church leadership is that they don't diminish the importance of our youngest kids. And like Daniel said, I mean, to me, they're the most important humans in the building. I hope I would think that, but I, I truly why. do. Sell so, so me on that. So we have 936 weeks from birth to graduation um, with our kids. So, like, right now, if you have a 9-year-old, you're halfway through that. You're, like, halfway through the time you have with your kids. The preschool phase is 240 weeks. I actually have a little bit more time with our kids from birth to graduation than the rest of our ministry areas do. Um, But they're changing the most in in those 240 weeks, physically and emotionally. And you all know how that goes as parents. I mean, like I said earlier, they're learning new words and they're literally growing literally um changing in so many different ways and it's such a pivotal point and it's such an important um time for kids to know that God loves them that God made them and that Jesus wants to be their friend forever like Daniel said it is the foundation to the gospel if they don't if they don't know believe and understand that by the time they get to elementary school with David then that makes his job a whole lot harder so if if my goal is just that before preschoolers go to first grade, right now, 
they're with me until they're through kindergarten, that they really do believe those three core truths and that they really do believe that God is real and that his Bible is true and that we can believe it. And something that I say to my kindergartners when I'm teaching them is I'll hold the Bible and say, what is this? This is God's word. What do we know about it? That everything in it is what? True. And what does true mean? That it really happened. And then I'll say something that really happened today just so they can connect that. And I think if they know this isn't just like some folk tales, this isn't just some feel good stories or uh, in the Old Testament, some not so feel good stories. Um, that that this is truth that we can live our lives by, and that everything in this book really happened, and that a God who made you wrote this book. Like that's a big deal. If they believe that, then we have such a larger chance to get them to faith, a faith of their own at a very early age, um, than if we're just babysitting on Sunday mornings. And so that's why it's so important to me. And um, my volunteers, I mean, I think, you know, if we're going to say I, I can't leave them out when I'm saying how how does a big God do something like this in a small town? I mean, we have 112 leaders who, like, pour mm-hmm. into my sweet littles every week, and I couldn't do it without them. I mean, the ratio is just you literally couldn't. So I'm so grateful for them. And um, my whole thing is I just I, I never want anybody in a room with anyone's kid in this building that doesn't have a passion for the phase that that kid is in. Um, because when they do, when they love that kid and they believe that this kid has got to know that God loves them, made them, and Jesus wants to be their friend forever, then that kid is going to walk away feeling safe and feeling physically, spiritually, emotionally embraced. And we're going to gain the trust and influence of their parents, which we can't do without their parents. We don't, we don't get to have that time with their kids without their parents. And, um, and I mean, parents of preschoolers are going through a lot of things, especially Amen. first. Parents <laughs> have got a couple in their house. Amen. So it's, I mean, together with the parents trusting us with it to to influence and keep their kids safe and care for them um and our volunteers who just literally are the the ones who get it done um we're able to do some cool things and have some fun okay people are going to remember one thing about your story what would you want it to be so uh kind of a common theme in our story um both individually and together is just waiting um, and a lot of the time we didn't really wait well, whether that was Sarah waiting on me to gain some sense and ask her out or, or <laughs> me waiting on God to, you know, show me what, what's my contribution that I'm going to make. Um, a lot of the time we didn't wait well. Yeah. Um, and often we had, we said, okay, God, here's my plans, make them happen. Bless my plans. This is what I want to do. And I know better than you. Um, so make this happen. Um, and so we didn't wait well. So I, but we've learned to, um, and are still learning to wait well and say, okay, God, whatever you want to do, um, I, I may not know, but my answer is yes in advance. Um, so the, that, that would be kind of the big takeaway, I think. Yeah, I think um, Ephesians 3 tells us that God will do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine of him. And when I think of that verse and I think of, um, just like a theme in our marriage and kind of since our surrenders to the Lord, both individually, um, you know, like Daniel said, if we take our hands off and we say, God, don't, here's my plan, fix it. But yes, 
first um, to whatever it is you have for us. Not only is his plan going to be better than Mm -hmm. ours ever could have been, but he is going to shape us and mold us and sanctify us and make us more like him and teach us things that we could have never learned if it wasn't for that time. And, um, you know, I think we know that the, these two situations for us individually and together won't be the last time we ever have to wait for something or wait on an answer from the Lord. And um, I feel like it's given us tools and it's given us hope and it's given us each other, literally, um, to kind of do that together. And it's one thing that to think that, you know, what God desires from us is our affection towards Him and our praise of Him. And what what better time to do that than when mm. you're waiting on an answer or waiting on a door or window or whatever um, from him? Because you're just so, I think during that time, and I know Daniel agrees with that, and it gives us the courage and um, tools to do this the next time, that um, leaning in to Christ during those times and setting our affections on him because we're literally waiting on him. We're kind of hanging on his every word during those times. And we're listening a little closer than we normally would um, for big answers and small ones too. And so um, I think sometimes the the answer is in the wait for, for both of us. Yeah, I remember, I think it was at a camp, at middle school camp um, years ago. There was a speaker, I think he was from the Summit Church, um, he said something I, I've never forgotten it, and and I think it applies here. He said, "Put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map," mm-hmm. um, and that really impacted me. And I think that kind of characterizes uh, our story. Put your yes on the table, uh, let God put it on the map. So you say yes in advance to whatever, whenever, however, wherever. God, my answer in advance uh, is yes to whatever you want to do. Well, we are beneficiaries of you guys putting your yes on the table in so many ways. Um, We love you guys. We are so thankful for um, your friendship and your brotherhood and sisterhood, everything you do in the church. Um, And we are very thankful that you spent some time sharing those stories on the podcast. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Thank you all. (laughs) Thank you for listening to I, We, He at OBC. To learn more about our church, you can check us out at OsborneBaptist.com. Maybe during this episode, you thought about taking another step in your faith journey. We'd love to hear about it. Send me an email to jbarrow at OsborneBaptist.com. Please be sure to share this podcast on all your social media platforms. Until next time, church family, keep helping people love Jesus and everyone else.